You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We are two nights away from real, meaningful, regular season NFL football games. Thursday night kicks it all off, and then we got a full slate of games this weekend. I am so, so pumped, even though my team is expected to be terrible. Can't imagine the excitement for people with teams that are supposed to win some games. It's Spain I'm and happy Fitz. to tell you. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go yeah, ahead. yeah, okay. yeah. No, no, no. We'll, we'll get to that eventually. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We will get to your team, your division, which is the most thrilling in all of football, the most stacked in all of football. But as we, over the next couple days, hit every division in the league ahead of the start of the season and and the big weekend we've got coming our way, uh, we're going to start instead with the NFC South. And that's in part because we're getting some news around Tom Brady that I'm trying to figure out just how much of an effect it might have on the football side of things or whether Robot Tom truly is impervious to the sorts of things that you might imagine would affect a regular human being. And a lot of people have had the Bucks at the top of this division. In fact, right now, they are still the favorites uh, per Caesars and Vegas. We got Bucks, Saints, Panthers, Falcons. But I saw Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football taking the Panthers. Sean Payton's telling everyone who will listen that the Saints are going to win. A lot of people are wondering about the Bucks. Offensive line issues, and then, of course, Tom Brady and the fact that he retired, tried to go to the Dolphins, came back, missed some of camp, and is now saying this on the SiriusXM Let's Go podcast. As you get older, you know, life changes quite a bit. You know, I think there's different responsibilities that take form in your life, different perspective you gain. You know, when I was 25, all I did was think about football. That was my life. It was eat, sleep, drink football. Over time, other priorities develop because you change and evolve through life and you grow in different ways. So, you know, you take on these different responsibilities of family and and commitment and so forth and you commit time and energy to those things so we all have different things that are going on and I think once football season comes I really lock in on what I need to do and how I need to focus and the kind of commitment I need to make for the organization so that we can maximize our potential as a team. Fitz what do you make of this I think it's very clear there's something going on the the tabloids have their own opinion of what's happening with with Brady and his family and everything else but uh, is he a guy that could put all of this to the side for the sake of football? This doesn't feel like the usual opportunity for coach speak or quarterback speak. Like he has had so many times where he could have come in and just shut down any speculation, any rumors, or given us the usual answers that make us feel like he's particularly focused. It sounds like life is just kicking his ass right now. And that's okay. Like, sometimes that's going to happen. The problem that you add to all of this is what happens when you're a 45-year-old quarterback trying to deal with life and also trying to deal with expectations on a team with a bunch of injuries at key positions and an offensive line with 52 different question marks, it feels like. So you stack all of this up. It's not about any one block. It's about the number of bricks that are stacking on top of each other that all feel like stumbling blocks for what to expect from the Buccaneers. Like, I, I have a tough time finding a path to a Super Bowl for a team that seems to have so many holes in a quarterback that for very real reasons has obviously got something going on in life mm-hmm. that pulls distraction away. And just that little bit of distraction can be the difference between good and great, even if you're Tom Brady. Yeah, we heard Charlie Weiss this morning on KJ and Max saying it's a bad idea to, you know, pee off Tom Brady and he's going to come back and get you. And I think that makes sense for doubters, for football opponents, even maybe coaches. But I don't think the same goes for family. 
And if you are needing to figure out some really important life things, it's inevitable that there will be a bit of that weighing on you or just that time will need to be spent dedicated to something that normally you'd have figured out in a regular season. Now, I am not going to doubt Tom Brady. I've done it in the past because of age. I'm not going to do it now because of this amorphous question mark that we don't even have the details around. But I do think it is worth considering, will he press at all? believing that this is the last year because now that he's said retirement, he's announced retirement, he's talked about the reasons for it and then come back. It feels almost certain that this is it. And I don't know if that makes him go out even bigger because he's Tom Brady and that's what he does. Or if it forces him into trying a little bit too hard. Um, and and it, that's one piece fits, right? He, he sort of disappears during camp, no Gronk, offensive line injuries, all the offseason drama with the Dolphins stuff. You add Julio Jones, which could be great, but also is a is a new thing to, to figure out. And if he takes hits early, especially because of the O-line, health-wise and otherwise, how does that end up being a long-term issue for this team? Yeah, well, the problem is this, this division is the opposite of the AFC West. Like, we talk so much about how good the AFC West is. I can make a massive yeah-but case for almost every team in this division, it's easy as you just covered with the Bucks to talk about the problems that they're going to be facing. I'm out completely on Dennis Allen, the coach, and I think that we are wildly over-anticipating what to expect from Jameis Winston, who was supposed to be saved by Sean Payton, who's now not there. Plus, we have no idea what could or couldn't happen to Alvin Kamara at some point this season. Like, there are a ton of question marks around the Saints. I... I can't find a path for the Panthers to be very good unless we suddenly presume that for the first time in three years, Christian McCaffrey is going to be healthy. Baker Mayfield learned an entire mm -hmm. playbook to perfection in about 30 days, and Matt Rule suddenly figured out how to be a great NFL coach. Mm -hmm. And the Falcons, man, the Falcons are probably going to stink, even though oh, I Falcons want Marcus Mario to be good. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, Falcons, the Falcons, we don't even have to think about whether the Falcons could win this. Sorry, Falcons fans, but this is a team that should have hit the eject button on a full rebuild a long time ago, and now they're just not good. The Panthers so like, are weird, right? Like, major questions at, at, at wide receiver. What the hell is Baker and Ben McAdoo going to look like, right? Um, right. And also, another team, they are over the cap for next season – without a quarterback under contract for that season. Like, they <laughs> they are a team that is still trying to do something, what I'm not sure, in terms of spending without a real path to the success that you would imagine you would need in order to have spent up this year and next year. Um, and, and you only have one holdover from that bad offensive line last year, so maybe you get improvement there, and that helps with the quarterback. But, uh, yeah, my expectations for the Panthers are not good. It's Saints and Bucks for me, and the Saints could have a fantastic defense. What does it look like without Sean Payton, though? There's a lot of continuity because of the people that they kept on that had um, ties to, to, to Payton. You know, it's, it's all guys that have been there, but just how important was he actually? Yeah, the Falcons are a three-win team. The Panthers are a six-win team. The Saints are a seven-win team, and the Bucks are an eight-win team. To me, like that's where they all what? fall in this. Yeah, wow. Like, I just don't. Eight th wins I don't think for the, the Bucks. Yeah, I don't think the Bucks are going to be great. I, I, we're just we're just presuming that Tom Brady can fix everything, and at some point, he's still human. I, I, I just okay. There are I disagree so many with you other on that, things. For sure. So many other. Is things that, that your order though? Because that we're we're making our division picks. We did this last year as well. Fitz ended up winning by like a point. Because yes. of that insane Raiders game at the end of the season. Um, 
which, by the way, I'm still angry about. Uh, I, I, I think there must have been a miscalculation somehow. The math was off. There's no way you actually beat me at something. But we're going to do that again. You get different points for picking uh, the top spot and, and then the spots below. But your order is Bucks, Saints, Panthers, Falcons. Yeah, I guess so. They're that's all going to suck. Well. But, yeah, that's all right. No, I, so I disagree with that. We have the same order, but I believe in the Bucks. I, 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 they're not my Super Bowl favorite, but I think they will win this division – and I think they could make a decent run in the playoffs, um, despite the issues. I would take I would take the Rams, the 49ers, the Eagles, and the Cowboys before I take the Bucks. 49ers, man, yeah. there are uh, that is a huge question. Oh, I forgot mark. the Packers. I take the Packers too above the Bucks. Huge I'm out question on the Bucks. mark. I'm out on for the, Bucks. the 49ers. Though there are yeah, Trey Lance is a huge question mark, but Jimmy G's sitting there. I'm good with that. And both of those, you feel more comfortable in than Tom Brady. Well, because Tom Brady's not He Man. Like at some point. You know, Ooh, Skeletor wins off. at some clip point. Clip that I off. Tom Brady's clip not He-Man. Save off. it. I am out on Brady. I'm done. I'm out. Oh, no. Don't do it. I care about you. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs. For protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. We can't wait for that to clip to show up on the Let's Go podcast when he's addressing the haters. And the mm. motivators. It's Spain and Fitz. Lamar Jackson still in the news as that contract has yet to be signed. He's ready to go into the season without it. How is it going to affect his team? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. We were just talking about the NFC South, and I'm just firing up willy-nilly with all my hot takes at this point. You can tweet me. Uh, either of us at the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz is how you hang out with us. By the way, speaking of me uh, misspeaking there, as I always do, I was on so many different shows for a few weeks here while you were out. One day I actually said Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz filling in as we came in. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's where my world's gone. That while reminds you, me of uh, the time that you called it the Sarah Spain show. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I understand. Uh, I understand how things are done. Like, look, that's just called knowing exactly uh, where my bread is buttered. That, that's, that's what we're doing here. Uh, the Ravens know where their bread is buttered, and that's going to be Lamar Jackson. Now, uh, Ravens coach John Harbaugh was, says Lamar Jackson is locked in. His quote, my interactions with Lamar have been all about football. He's been focused and locked in on that 100% from a football standpoint. He added he's unaware of talks between the Ravens and Jacksons. has been suspended. Remember, Lamar said week one would be the cutoff in negotiations. It feels more and more like people are thinking what Dan Graziano said earlier, ESPN NFL insider. He said this on Greeny with Mike Greenberg about whether or not Lamar and the Ravens are on the same page. From everything I've been told, the relationship between the player and the team is a good one. That the coach and the GM are in constant communication with Lamar Jackson, not just about what are we looking for in the contract, but football stuff, as John Harbaugh said. They've talked before their press conferences sometimes when they know they're going to be asked about the contract and what are we going to say so we stay on message. So there's a disconnect in terms of the money, the guaranteed money. Right. The Deshaun Watson deal has kind of thrown a lot of things out of whack. Uh, but I think each side understands where the other is. And my understanding is Lamar is comfortable taking this into next offseason if that's what it takes to get what he wants. Hmm. And that's going to be what's interesting, Sarah. Yeah. I mean, the question is, would he really leave? Does he feel comfortable leaving? What's the landscape look like for him to go elsewhere if he feels disrespected or doesn't feel like he's valued as much as, as he would like? And also, we've said all along that throughout this entire holdout, 
he's been making himself more and more money. Now there have been deals since where there has been less guaranteed money or where things have slightly gone down. Now, I don't think that necessarily affects what he's asking for, but at some point, does this bet that the longer he waits, the bigger the money gets backfire or start to at least go back the other direction? Um, because I don't think he's that worried about injury in part because we just saw that happen with Dak. And that's usually the thing that finally gets you moving. If that's not going to do it for him, then does he start to look around and say, okay, the more deals that they have to use to compare, the worse this could get for me. I need to still be, you know, going while these deals are as high and as big as possible. I still, though, come back to he's going to make $23 million this year, even if, God forbid, he gets injured. And again, God forbid, but... It's rare to see a career-altering injury for quarterback. We know that. So the chances of that are slim. Even if he gets injured, I think the team's still going to be on the hook to, to franchise him next year if he plays well at all. Like, even if he doesn't play well, the Ravens have no options. So I, I feel like he's, he's looking at it saying, I get a $23 million this year, $50 million-ish for the, the franchise tag. I'm going to make $73 million over the next two years. So if we know that that's the floor – now you're looking at, at a long-term deal with a much different perspective. So why not wait and see what the Burrow and Herbert contracts look like just to just to yeah. see where it goes? And I think those will help him. Those those two will help him. Um, it's just kind of a matter of where the where the Ravens sit, and and I do wonder what this team does this year. You you saw how so much of last year was dictated by injury, and how much does that change now? How much does this team? Um, return to form uh, if they have start to finish the pieces that they need around Lamar and he stays healthy. Yeah, that's to me why if you look at Caesars right now, they've got the Ravens as the favorite in the AFC North. Uh, the Bengals, Browns, and Steelers fall under them. So they go Baltimore, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and then Pittsburgh. And what's funny to me is that I think the Ravens are clearly the class of this division simply because last year, to your point, Sarah, no team in the NFL lost more games by starters to injury than the mm -hmm. Baltimore Ravens. So if they, I'm going to presume that the injury bug doesn't strike twice in a row. And as, in fact, uh, as has been pointed out to me today, talking to some of the radio stations, no team was healthier in this division last year than the Bengals. So yeah. when you factor those two things together, it wouldn't be a surprise. It's like, I'm not trying to say that the Bengals necessarily take a step back, but it seems like it, it would make sense for them to at least be kind of in the range where they were. The Ravens take a large step forward. I'll take Baltimore as the winner in this division all day just because I don't think they get bit that way by the injury bug twice. Yeah, and it wasn't just how many injuries, of which there were many. It was who. It was, you know, Lamar for five games. It was Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards. It was big pieces and big chunks in the same position group um, that affected them. I'm really torn on this division when it comes to the top of it. I feel pretty good about the Steelers actually finishing better than the Browns. I think that Jacoby Brissett is not a good quarterback, and I think it's going to be ugly early on. And then I think when Deshaun Watson does enter the picture, he is going to be rusty. It's a big adjustment to have a new quarterback come in, especially one that hasn't played in that long. I think the Browns are going to be the fourth best team. I think the Steelers will not be good, but will be okay. And then it's really a matter of the Ravens and the Bengals. I think people are dogging the Bengals too much considering what they did last year. They did what they did despite a horrific offensive line. And if their bet this offseason 
was we're going to put our money and our resources into a better offensive line and leave everything else, they could win a Super Bowl. I mean, again, I think they could have shored up the defense more. I think they could have found some other holes to plug. But if you just took the offensive line and made it significantly better, that team could win a Super Bowl because they almost did last year despite him being on his butt all season long. I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, I think this is the the AFC North to me is the second best division in football this year behind the AFC West. And it's because I'm done giving up on Mike Tomlin, right? Like we just talked about what we won't give up on. Like the Steelers last year had terrible quarterback play and we're still, they still finished with the winning record somehow. Like he, whatever voodoo dolls he has, they work. And so if they just get mediocre quarterback play, it'll be better than what they got last year. That makes them a playoff caliber football team to me. I'm with you. I think when Deshaun comes back, whenever when he comes back in week 12, there's going to be a, a lull there for them where he's got to knock some of that rust off. I don't think that's an easy transition. I think the Browns are just surviving this year to get to next year. So it really becomes about the Bengals, the Ravens, and how good the Steelers can be. But you're right, when your quarterback, Joe Burrow, last year continually just – it felt like he got murdered five times a game and he still stood up afterwards and was like, nope, I'm good. Dust it off. Let's keep going. I, I have a hard time betting against that level of toughness, and I have a hard time betting against what we have seen from Lamar and the Ravens. So those two are going to be having a knockdown drag out all year to get to the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I think in this one I'm going gut, and my gut is the Bengals. I, I, I don't think I've seen the ch- – I know that they got some luck. They stayed healthy. They were a little bit under the radar at least the beginning of the season, for sure they were under the radar. And people will be gunning for them in a different way this year, but I don't have a good reason to, to, to believe that there'll be a setback for Cincinnati other than just shrug that was crazy how they went from worst to first. <laughs> and, and, and same goes for the Ravens. I, I should believe that they will be significantly better without the injury, but I kind of need to see it again now. Let's mark it down. We got our first disagreement. We both agree yep. that the, the Browns come in last, then it's the Steelers. I'll take the Ravens as the division champion and the Bengals as a playoff caliber team. But boy, that wild card is going to be beyond competitive to try and get in. Our next guest helps Sarah stay awake on a return trip back from the U.S. with greatness and a great football mind. We'll talk to him about all of his predictions next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. There's too much going on right now. WNBA games, U.S. women signing their equal pay agreement after a friendly. So much happening. And NFL to get to. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Don't forget you can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Happy to welcome in Robert Mays, host of The Athletic Football Show, NFL writer for The Athletic. You can follow him at Robert Mays. And, of course, we always want to talk to you during football season because you're full of insights, but especially today because, Robert, I just flew back from Europe on Sunday night. And because of the time change, I tried to force myself to stay awake for the entire eight or nine hour flight back. And the way that I did that for seven of the eight hours was to listen to the athletic football show for seven straight hours, divisional previews, <laughs> because I have just spent two weeks in Europe not paying attention. I was like, I got to get back to football. And the answer is going to be Robert Mays, the soothing tones of Robert Mays for seven straight hours. So thank you. I'm so, so sorry. I, that, that sounds like a real endeavor. I, 
no one should be listening to me for seven straight hours. The fact that you you made it all the way through and you're still alive, I think, says a lot about you. It was honestly very entertaining. I took a lot of notes. I can only imagine what the person that was next to me on the flight was thinking about me taking copious NFL notes about various things on my phone while you know he was trying to sleep for most of the flight. But let's get to those previews. I mean, those are fascinating to me whenever I listen because so much can change within moments after you've hit save and posted. Um, is there... Is there anything that you want to change? Like right off the bat, you're already looking at we're two days away and you've changed your mind about a team or a ranking or anything. No, not really. I mean, I think that there were some questions about health, you know, and so the conversations we've had specifically about teams like the Packers. You know, are their tackles going to be healthy by the time the season starts? Are David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins going to be in the lineup? Same with the Ravens and Ronnie Stanley. And for the most part, a lot of teams had those guys come back and start at least practicing over the last week or so. So for the most part, we've also avoided any catastrophic injuries at this point in the season. Harold Landry was really the only guy that was a high-profile player that was lost for the season in the midst of recording those. And it happened right before we did the AFC South podcast. So this year, I I think it's kind of an outlier in the sense that over the two or three weeks that we did those, not a ton changed about the landscape of the league. I promise I'm not asking this because of my fandom, but I am asking this because (laughs) of my fandom. AFC West, uh, the most difficult division for most. How did you guys break down that division? Like, What what factored in to uh, splitting hairs in that one for you? It really gets into some granular weaknesses and strengths of all of the rosters. And you look at the Raiders specifically, and it's hard not to get excited about. Yeah, you're not going to want to listen to it, Fitz, is all I'm saying. You look at it, and you look at the skill position talent, and you're like, man, they just have so many guys there. And you know the pieces fit together in a way that I think makes sense with Renfro and Adams and Waller. And I think that Derek Carr had a really good season last year without a ton of players to throw to. But then you get to the offensive line, and it's like, oh, man, I just wish that group was better and more established only because the rest of the teams in the division are just so darn good. Mm -hmm. And I think the Broncos have a chance to be pretty good, but I don't know how quickly Russ and Nate Hackett are going to mesh on offense. So you're really splitting hairs. I think that's a good phrase when you talk about how those teams are going to stack up next to each other just because there's so much quality in that division. And that's why I think that the Chiefs and the the Chargers, even with some of the changes in Kansas City, are still just a slight step up from those other teams because they have fewer question marks to make. Robert Mays is with us on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, he hosts the Athletic Football Show, NFL writer for the Athletic. One of the interesting things you talked about with the Chiefs and also with the Packers was what happens to opposing defenses when you lose that target that's so dominant and how for them there's a positive aspect of that. Teams don't know what they're going to be looking for quite as much, but there's also some potential growing pains as they try to figure out how opposing defenses are going to cover them without Tyreek Hill, without Devontae Adams. Um, do you think of that as more a positive net or more of a potential sticking point early on for them? It's, it's definitely a negative in the in the long run, even if you're going to be a little bit more predictable in the defenses that you see because you don't have that number one guy. It's always better to have better players. And what Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill force defenses to do, even if you become a little bit less predictable, I still think it's a step back for these teams in the short term. And I have faith in their ability on both sides to be able to sort through this. 
you, know, you look at what Matt LaFleur has been able to do with that offense and you just think about Andy Reid's track record, they deserve the benefit of the doubt in kind of sorting through what the early part of this season looks like. But there's no doubt that there's going to be some growing pains in figuring out what the 2.0 versions of these offenses are going to be with Patrick Mahomes and with the LaFleur-Rogers marriage. So I think that they'll be okay in the long run, but there's going to be a lot of stuff that they have to answer in the short term. Talking to Robert Mays, host of the Athletic Football Show and NFL writer for the Athletic. Robert, I feel like I could say the same thing about the Titans who let A.J. Brown walk. How do you sort of assess where they are as a team right now? I think it's a pretty big step back. You know, not even just A.J. Brown, but the offensive line was a real strength for them, you know, when they were really rolling in that Arthur Smith, Ryan Tannehill marriage early on. And now it's just not. You know, Taylor Lewan, I think, has taken a step back over the last couple of years. Hopefully he's healthier than he's been this season and then you look at the rest of the offensive line you know they have a potential rookie starting right tackle you know the interior of the offensive line has some new pieces so overall i think top to bottom just that roster offensively is not what it was over the last couple of years and i think they knew that you know when you make that aj brown trade i think you have to understand that this is going to be a bit of a retooling period spending that third round pick on malik willis there's a bit of self-awareness in making those decisions and kind of understanding we're moving into whatever the next stage of this is. And I just think that they're not really going to be one of those teams in the AFC. Mike Frable did such a good job last year of kind of guiding them through what was a mess of a season with injuries and kind of keeping them afloat in the conference and as a potential contender. I just don't think they're one of those teams this year. I think it's a transition period, and I think it's a bet on Frable and John Robinson and the brain trust there kind of being able to guide them into the next phase of this whether it's with Malik Willis, a quarterback, someone else, whatever this ends up looking like for them. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, at Robert Mays is where you can follow him. Um, Is there a team that you're seeing early on in people's predictions that's getting too much love and maybe one that you think isn't high enough? The team that I think I just am not as high on as other people is Dallas. You know, you think about the guys they lost this offseason, whether it's Amari Cooper, Lyle Collins, or they bring in Jason Peters now to be some insurance along the offensive line after already losing Tyron Smith. Randy Gregory was so good for them last year, and they're trying to piece together that second pass rusher spot now with uh, the guy they drafted in the second round, Sam Williams, and uh, Dante Fowler and, and all of that. And I just don't think they're as complete of a team as they were last year when they were disappointing at the end. And maybe there's a world where Dak being healthier allows them to kind of move past some of those issues they had down the back half of last season. But I don't think their roster is better than it was when they kind of fizzled out in the back half of the year and into the playoffs. So I'm not really that bullish on Dallas. I think that Philly's roster is much better than theirs, even if there are some questions at quarterback. So I like the Eagles in the NFC East. In terms of teams that can surprise, it's been hard to find one for me this year. You know, you look at what the Bengals were, and I think it was a popular topic of conversation this offseason to say, who could this year's Bengals be? And I don't know if there's a team that really makes a ton of sense because I don't think that there's a quarterback who could take that sort of leap the way that Joe Burrow did last year. Maybe there's a potential timeline where the Jets and Zach Wilson take a huge step, and the Jets' defense is going to be much better than it was last season based on some of the money that they spent and some of the guys that they brought in and how injured they were. Their offense with the pass catchers that they added should be better. So maybe they're one of those teams that things break right and Zach Wilson takes a huge step forward. But I don't think there's a really obvious candidate on that side this year. Uh, are we sleeping on, like not sleeping on, but the Bills seem to be the presumptive number one. Have we just resigned ourselves to that and that's why they're not as much in the conversation for a lot of people? I just think that they're the best team. 
you know, you look at the depth that they have in so many different places. They're pass catchers. They can really trot out four or five different guys in different combinations. The guy adding James Cook this offseason and the dynamic he potentially gives them in the passing game. Their defensive line, they just have waves of players that they can throw at that problem. Corner is a potential issue for them without Trey White early in the season, but you're nitpicking when you get there. I think the way they've built this team, this is their best chance to make this happen. Josh Allen's cap hit goes to $39 million next year from $16 million this year. Stephon Diggs goes from $11 million to $20 million. This is their best shot with the best roster to finally make this thing happen, and I think they know that. Awesome stuff, Robert. Uh, you've got NFC West preview today, so I've got to you know listen to more of those dulcet tones, even if I'm not on a flight. Uh, appreciate you keeping me awake, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Anytime. Always good stuff from Robert Mays. Check him out at Robert Mays. Coming up, I've got some stories to tell from my world travels. Also, how do I feel about the dome diagrams kicking around Chicago today? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, WNBA update for you. Connecticut up on Chicago, 30-22, to 22. About 8.20 to go in the second. So plenty of time left on that. Make that uh, uh, bucket counts 32-22 as we sit right now. So we'll keep you updated on that game throughout the night on ESPN Radio. But, Sarah, uh, I want to get your thoughts uh, before we get your thoughts on Europe because I I can't wait to hear that. Uh, There was news today that the Bears have shown us their conceptual plan for a 326-acre property with a domed stadium. Uh, You, being the Bears aficionado here, you in, you out? What do you think? So – uh, it's a head and a heart situation. My heart doesn't like the idea of the Bears not being in Chicago proper and the vibe of going to Soldier Field. It's a pain in the ass to get to. It's real hard to get out of. It's extremely limiting for the team because they don't own the building or the land and you can't develop around it because it's on the museum campus, which is surrounded by other historic, amazing buildings. There's really no space to add and to change it. We won't get a Super Bowl. We won't get major basketball tournaments. It's very limiting. The field sucks, actual field. Um, And there isn't a emotional tie to it like Wrigley it's just that's where I've always gone right so that part of my heart is like ew no but my head says every other part of this plan to go to Arlington Heights makes sense 326 acres to work with making it a a whole series of things you can do that are all interconnected and you look at the facilities of other teams and franchises and you say the Bears are a founding franchise they are, you know, George Hallis created all of this and we should be winning and we should be doing it in a space that feels deserving of a, a, of one of the pillar franchises. And this project that they announced is commercial, retail, housing, multi-purpose entertainment, hotel, fitness centers, you know, parks, spaces. And, and they, they claim... They first of all, they use a ton of ifs and they make all the ifs in this like insane, aggressive ita- italics. If... The decision is made to do this if we decide. So, like, they're, they've got this massive plan put out, and then they're still, you know, hedging their bets. But they basically said the stadium itself will not be funded by taxpayers, but all of the stuff around it would be because of how much it would add to the community. It has to be domed. It's Chicago. You're not getting a Super Bowl in the winter in Chicago without a dome. So, parts of it are, bleh, I don't like it, but <laughs> my head says... It, you you kind of this is what you have to do, and 
especially with this team that has not been good much of my lifetime. You know, I went to the Super Bowl in 2007, but so much of it has been just sadness. Uh, if this makes them better somehow, that's what I, I just want them to win. Yeah, and I will just echo quickly that the, you know, for me, obviously I just went through this process with the Raiders of, you know, relocation, but a new stadium. And walking into Allegiant first time uh, compared to walking into uh, Oakland where the Coliseum was, uh, and this is no discredit to Oakland fans. I know how much they care about the organization. But, man, when I walked into Allegiant, I was so proud that day to just be a Raiders fan because that stadium is beautiful and mm. you felt like you had something just that you could walk into and and really keep your head up and say, look at this amazing place. And every time coaches come in and talk about the facilities that they built and Belichick talking about that, like that's just those are little moments that make you really proud of the team you, you root for. So I think the new stadium provides opportunity for Chicago to do that. And a dome only makes sense because Chicago is always going to be an epicenter for great things. So yeah. why not make sure that the football stadium can also be that? Uh, well, Go ahead. and real quick, interestingly, I just happened last night while I was cooking dinner to watch a special about when the Bears played their home game at, at Wrigley Field for 50 years. And that's as much more history than Soldier Field. I mean, the people who played there, you know, Gale Sayers and the names that you hear of Y.A. Tittle and some of the best players of all time, they played at Wrigley. They didn't play at Soldier Field. The later players did, but there's so much history there, too, that it sort of muddies the waters of the history of football in Chicago. Uh, the the interesting part about it is, to your point, Chicago, when the Bears are great, uh, the league is great, and it's good for yeah. ratings, good for everybody. The league's going to get this done. You got Europe just crushed. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, I, like I, I, spent, I felt like I spent every day looking at your Instagram just to, to, <laughs> to take notes on how to live life. Uh, what was your favorite part of your mm, uh, opportunity so to escape from everything? Well, I will say, first of all, that you're in luck because there's so many photos and videos I did not post because I wanted to be focused on what I was doing that you will have lots of later grams to continue to enjoy just yes. how much we crushed those trips. So one of my best friends, Kylie, runs yoga retreats, and she had this retreat in Portugal that was supposed to happen in 2020 and got kept getting delayed, so it finally happened. And she said, you know, come, and I, I, was like, I just was in Portugal, but if you tack anything on to your trip... Let me know and I'll make that happen. And she and her friend Melissa were like, we're going to do Spain. So I was like, all right, I'm in for Spain, Sevilla, Mallorca, and Ibiza. Then let me reverse engineer a trip with my husband out there before I meet up with the gals. So we plan on Switzerland. He's got a town, Ergesville, which is uh, about 25-minute bike ride from Lucerne uh, that a bunch of his family ancestors still live in a bunch of Zabungs. My husband's last name is Zabung. You can see why I went ahead and kept my name. Uh, a lot of Zabungs in Orgusville. <laughs> so we decided on Switzerland. Then I found out Lake Como was only about an hour from Switzerland. And so we tacked that on. So we started in Lake Como. So I'd say the top moments were we rented a boat, a, like a private boat for t the two of us with a captain, Aldo in Lake Como and it was one of those wooden Venetian taxi boats that are just gorgeous where the back is all open so you're sitting or standing looking out at just the insane landscape of Lake Como plus all the beautiful villas and castles and buildings and Clooney's house and all that Michael Jordan was just at Clooney's guest house a week before we got there so we just missed that unfortunately but that I've been dreaming about forever Switzerland it's impossible to pick one thing. I will just tell you, it's 
up there with the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. It was New Zealand and the Kanapali coast of Kauai that were tied for me. But now Switzerland's up there too. Like every single thing you see is a postcard of perfection. And the mountains, the, the valleys, the cows even are like beautiful with their bells and their facial decoration. Like Switzerland, I cannot recommend enough. The food was amazing. The people were amazing. The sights were incredible. The hiking, all of that. And just getting around is sort of fascinating. You take like a train to a gondola, to another train, to a funicular, and it's it's incredible. Um, Spain, flamenco show, and the tapas crawl in Sevilla, where you go to different little tapas places and have their best food and drink and then move to the next one. And the flamenco show was like gorgeous and beautiful and so fascinating. And then we capped it off by doing the entire coast of Mallorca, going to like a beach club right on a cliff and then going to Calvin Harris at Ushuaia in Ibiza, which like is not really my scene, but like Calvin Harris, the last night of a 14 week residency, the week that is new or like week and a half after his new album drops, uh, in this massive outdoor beach club in Ibiza, uh, was pretty sick and it was insanely crowded. It was hot as hell. And this gate opens where we're standing and I just walk in. I'm like, let's just go in here. And thankfully the people who had this like $3,000 a night suite with the balcony were like, yeah, you guys can just enjoy. So I got my crew into that space. So we had more room to dance and move and not be sweated on by others. Um, so that was a pretty good way to close it out. Then the next day we did like a full like eight hour boat trip of all the bees and stopped on this Island and went to lunch. So like, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, Rick Steves is the man. If you're going anywhere, get a Rick Steves book and then just go with neurotic type A control freak party planners like me and you will crush it. You you will have the best time. Look, I'm just saying that if you're telling me you have the chance to be in a bees and see Calvin Harris, like it doesn't really matter if you're a Calvin Harris person, not you do that. Like that's just is such a storybook ending uh, to what looked like a storybook trip. So I'm jealous of all that. You're right. I've been to Switzerland a couple of times. I will double down on your endorsement. Like it is just there's you stand outside and it doesn't even look real. It looks like something out of a movie. And the people are so friendly and all of it's just yeah, everything about it is absolutely perfect. Uh, But now I'm so happy to be back with you. Yeah, you know the only (laughs) thing better than Switzerland, hanging out with this guy. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.